mischief night gone wrong and a former U.S. senator's widow's family, national headlines, and a case that has been in the active media up until 2020. The murder of Martha Moxley has haunted the Skakel family since 1975 and still continues to be a dark cloud looming over the family in 2020. The Connecticut judicial system has addressed this case now four different times, and it looks like it may have finally came to an end. Today on our Halloween special is the Martha Moxley murder. Martha Moxley was a 15-year-old high school student from Greenwich, Connecticut. She was last seen alive at the home of the Skakel family, which was right across the street from her Bellhaven home. Michael Skakel, who was also aged 15 at the time, was later convicted in 2002 for murdering Martha and sentenced to 20 years in prison. I'll be getting more into all the details about that later on. Martha's murder happened on a mischief night of 1975. So for those of you that don't know what night mischief night is, that is October 30th. Martha and her friends went out and participated in mischief night. Mischief night's where, if you don't know, people play pranks like ding dong ditch, they teepee houses, egg cars. It's an annoying cleanup if you have to be a part of that, which thankfully I knock on wood, never had to deal with that myself. But her friends had said that she had been seen flirting with and later eventually kissing Thomas Skakel, one of Michael's older brothers. She was last seen alive at 9.30 p.m., quote unquote, falling behind the fence with Thomas near the pool in the Skakel backyard. Sadly, that was the last time her friends would see her alive. The next morning, Halloween morning, Martha's body was found next, like under, propped up under a tree in her family's yard. Her underwear and her bottoms were pulled down and a shattered golf club, which was linked to the Skakel household, was found next to her. Autopsy indicated she was both bludgeoned and stabbed with the golf club, but there was no indication of sexual assault or sexual activity. Now, this leads us to three people of interest. Number one, Thomas Skakel, who was the last person to see her alive. Number two, Thomas's brother, Michael Skakel, and also, Kenneth Littleton, the live-in tutor who started just hours before Martha was murdered. Thomas and Michael both changed their alibis during the course of the investigation, and later it was acknowledged in two different books that were later published. Michael claimed he was window peeping and masturbating in a tree by the Moxley property between 11.30 p.m. and 12.30 a.m. Two former students at the Elon School, a treatment center for troubled youth, had testified they heard Michael confessing to killing Martha with a golf club, and one student, Greg Coleman, testified that Michael had special treatment and bragged that he was, quote-unquote, 
saying, I'm going to get away with murder. I'm a Kennedy. Now, with a little insight to that, for most of you that do not know, Robert F. Kennedy's widow, Ethel Skackle Kennedy, is in fact the aunt of Michael Skackle. In 1991, well, before I go there, no one was originally charged in the murder of Martha Moxley, which went unsolved for years. But in 1991, William Kennedy Smith was tried and acquitted of rape. With this came a rumor that was presented that Smith was at the Skackle house during the Moxley murder, insinuating that he was involved, but it was unfounded and proved false, but it did result in an investig a new investigation on the cold case. The Sutton Association, which is a private detective agency, was hired by Michael and Thomas's father, Rushton Skackle, in 1991. Their report of the killing was then leaked to the media and revealed how much Thomas and Michael's changed their story of the night of the murder. But still, nothing was found. In 1993, the father of murdered actress Dominique Dune, Dominic Dune is the father's name. The actress was Dominique Dune. I didn't realize when I put this together that they were going to sound so much alike. Um, he published a book called A Season in Purgatory, which is a fictional story that closely resembled the Moxley case. Um, and in 1998, Mark Furman published Murdered in Greenwich, naming Michael as the murderer and pointing out many mistakes that were made during the initial police investigation. Also, I want to point out that Greenwich detective Steve Carroll and Frank Gar, as well as police reporter Leonard Levitt, had become convinced years before either books were made that Michael was indeed the killer. In June of 1998, a rarely invoked one-man grand jury was convened to review all of the evidence of the case. After 18 months of review and investigation, there was finally enough evidence to charge Michael Skackle of the murder of Martha Moxley. On January 9th of 2000, an arrest warrant was issued for an unnamed juvenile for Martha's murder. Now, mind you, they say unnamed. They didn't say who it was. They didn't go out of their way to say, oh, yes, this is who we're looking for. But later that day, Michael surrendered to authorities. Shortly after, he was released on a $500,000 bond, my bad, or bail. On March 14th of 2000, Skackle was arraigned for murder in a juvenile court. The only reason he was tried as a juvenile was because he was 15 when he committed the murder. However... On January of 31st of 2001, a judge had ruled that Skackle would actually be tried as an adult for the murder. And now, mind you, this is 
this has kept going over some time. And then there's like a really like a low on it. But on May 7th of 2002 in Norwalk, Connecticut, Skakel's trial began with Michael Sherman as his attorney. Skakel's alibi at the time of the trial had changed yet again. At the trial, this time he claimed he was at his, at his cousin's house. Now, mind you, they had recorded everything down, like voice recorded everything he said the night of the murder. So with that, during the trial, the jury had heard a tape box proposal, which included Skakel speaking about masturbating in the tree of the night of the murder. In the book report, in the book proposal, however, Skakel did not admit to killing Martha. Prosecution took words from the proposal and overlaid it over the images of Moxley's dead body during closing arguments. That was a computerized slideshow, basically. And in the audio, Skakel says he was afraid he might have been caught jerking off and had panicked. Um, however, even though the jury did hear the full tape um, during the procedures, like during the trial, prosecutors did not play the jerking off portion over the video. Um, so it did leave the impression that he confessed to murder, but um, he was never, he never actually said, yes, I did it. On June 7th of 2002, literally a month later, Skakel was found guilty of murdering Martha Moxley and sentenced to 20 years in prison at Garner Correctional Institute in Newtown, Connecticut. Now, with that all said, there's a couple different things you need to know here. You're probably wondering who Michael Skakel is. Well, he is the fifth of seven children born to Rushton Walter Skakel and Anne Reynolds, Rushton's sister is Ethel, the widow of Robert F. Kennedy and the mother of RFK Jr. His grandfather was George, who was the founder of the Great Lakes Carbon uh, Corporation, which was a coal company and one of the largest and wealthiest privately held corporations in the United States. Um, the Skackles pretty much had it made. They lived in an affluent neighborhood in Bellhaven. Um, they only a downside to this was that in 1973, two years before the murder, their mother had passed away from brain cancer and Michael had been known to start abusing alcohol. He was a poor student. He made his way in and out of multiple different schools. Um, it wasn't until he was 26 years old that they had actually found out that he had dyslexia. Um, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. did later write that um, he was a small, sensitive child, the run of the litter with a harsh and occasionally violent alcoholic father who both ignored and abused him. Most family and friends and neighbors said that uh, he, he, they, the children were given unlimited amounts of money and were just not supervised. Um, but in 1978, Michael was arrested for drunk driving in New York state to avoid criminal charges. His family sent him to the Elan school in Poland, Maine, 
where he was supposedly receiving treatment for his alcoholism, um, he did run away from the school twice before leaving the school two years after um, attending. And that is where he supposedly said to these two students that he was bragging about murdering and getting away with murder. Um, it does say that he got a bachelor's degree in English from Curry College in Milton, Massachusetts. And during the 80s, he attended several drug rehabilitation centers before finally becoming sober in his 20s. He also uh, pursued a career as a professional athlete. Uh, he competed in international speed skating circuit and tried out for speed skating demonstration team. Um, the one that appeared in the 1992 Winter Olympics in France. It was said that in 1991, Skackle married professional golfer Margot Sheridan, that they do share a child together. Um, but when he was arrested for the murder of Moxley in January of 2001, um, she had filed from divorce for divorce. She was like, nope, I'm not doing this. We're not going there. Um, and it said that this is the only, um, the only one marriage that he's ever had, at least as that I could find. Um, and it's just kind of ironic, you know. He marries a professional golfer after murdering somebody with a golf club. Does anyone else see the irony in that? So here's where things get interesting. So after the trial in January of 2003, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Michael Skackle's cousin, wrote a controversial article in the Atlantic Monthly called A Miscarriage of Justice, swearing up and down that his indictment was triggered by an inflamed media and that an innocent man is now in prison. The Mr. Kennedy had tried arguing that there was more evidence suggested that Kenneth Littleton, the live-in tutor, had actually killed Moxley instead and said that the main driving force behind Michael's um, prosecution was Dominic Dune and his book. In July of 2016, Kennedy did release a book defending Michael entitled Framed. I'm sorry, but if there was so much evidence based against this live-in tutor, don't you think that that would have been brought up already? But he, Michael continued to fight it. In November of 2003, he had appealed to the Connecticut Supreme Court uh, saying that the trial was wrong because the case should have been heard in juvie court rather than Supreme Court and that the statute of limitations had expired on the charges against him and that where he tried saying that the prosecution also had held misconduct. Um, but in January of 2006, the Supreme Court rejected his claims and affirmed his conviction. Um, he did obviously retain an attorney who is also a former U.S. Solicitor General, Theodore Olson, who did, filed a petition of right of Sitorari on behalf of Skackle before the U.S. Supreme Court on July 12th of 2006. 
On November 13th, 2006, the Supreme Court had declined to hear the case. They were like, no, it's already, it's done and it's over with. Um, then, you know, since he didn't get the job, Skakel went and got two more attorneys, Hope Seeley and Hubert Santos in 2007. And they filed petitions of habeas corpus and a motion for a new trial in Connecticut trial court um, that had originally heard his case. And they based this theory involving Giatano Tony Bryant is the cousins. Uh, he's actually the cousin of Los Angeles Lakers player Kobe Bryant and a former classmate of Skakel at the private Brunswick school in Greenwich. Uh, apparently a videotape uh, from August, 2013 interview with Vito Colusi, a private investigator hired by Skakel. Bryant said that on the night of Moxley's murder, one of his companions had wanted to rape her. Bryant said that he did not previously come forward because his mother had warned him that he, as a quote unquote, as a black man, he would be tagged for the unsolved murder. A two week hearing in April, 2007 allowed the presentation of this pretty much hearsay evidence uh, in along other matters. But in September of 2007, Skackle's attorney filed another petition based in part on Bryant's claims, asking for a new trial. Prosecutors formally responded that Bryant may have made the whole story up to sell a play about the case. This man just keeps hiring new attorneys and new attorneys. Um, And they tried saying that um, the new investigation team that he had hired later tried saying that um, there was a book written about the Elon School in preparation for the hearing, um, they argue that no one at the Elon residence that say they knew Skackle other than George Coleman had ever spoken about Skackle's perf- uh, confession to anyone, including uh, the author of this book that was made. On October 25th of 2007, the Supreme Judge court judge denied the request for a new trial again saying that brian's testimony was not credible and there was no evidence of um the prosecution misconduct in the original trial again his lawyers appealed the decision again to the connecticut supreme court and on march 26 2009 a five-judge panel of the court heard arguments on the appeal in April of 2010, the panel ruled four to one against Skakel's appeal. Again, he continued to go on and do another appeal and tried charging, um, tried, basically tried to say that his lawyer at the time, Michael Sherman, was incompetent. Um, and that was the lead, tro- that was the lead, jur- uh, the lead lawyer for him. Um, in April 2013, there there was a hearing in Vernon, Connecticut, where Skakel testified that Sherman, rather than focusing on his defense, um, basked in quote unquote celebrity. He also claimed that Sherman was more interested in collecting fees to settle um, Sherman's own financial issues than actually defending Skakel. 
Sherman did testify in defense of all of this and continued to maintain his belief in Skakel's innocence in the Moxley case. Even though, you know, Skakel's sitting here basically saying, no, this dude did nothing for me. He did nothing for me, blah, 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 blah. On January of 24th of 2012, we're going to back it up just a little bit, um, Skakel and his attorneys argued for a sentence reduction, saying that he should have been tried in juvie court, so it, you know, it, it, it's done, it's over with. Um, again, March 5th of that same year, they lost it. They, 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 were, they weren't allowed to have a sentence reduction. Um, his first parole hearing was held on October 24th of 2012 where he was denied parole. Um, he did continue to deny killing, um, and the, his next parole hearing was in October of 2017. But here's the kicker. October 23rd of 2013, Skakel was finally granted a new trial by Connecticut judge Thomas A. Bishop, who ruled that Michael Sherman failed to inadequately represent Skakel in 2002. Prosecutors obviously appealed the decision. John Moxley, uh, Martha's brother, said that the ruling took his family by surprise and that the family hoped the state would win on the appeal. Which, I mean, hmm. sadly, on, October, on November 21st, 2013, Skakel was released on a 1.2 million bond along with other conditions. He was pretty much placed on house arrest. He had to be, have a GPS monitor on him. He could have no contact with the Moxley family. He had to do periodic check-ins over the phone and would not be allowed to leave the state of Connecticut unless it was granted. Um, and that... He, but the thing is, is he recently, I guess since this has actually relocated to Westchester County, New York. Um, so my biggest thing is, so basically they, they let him out of jail and on probation, pretty much parole, probation, however you want to look at it. Um, in December of 2016, the Connecticut Supreme Court reinstated Skakel's murder eviction with a four to three majority decision, basically saying that the results of overwhelming evidence presented by prosecution by prosecutors and that his legal representation had been inadequate. So they're saying, no, everything was fine. There was too much evidence. We're reinstating him for the murder. Like where the murder conviction is sticking. No. In 2018, January, precisely, prosecutors asked the Connecticut Supreme Court to revoke Skakel's bail and to return him to prison to resume serving his sentence. However, in, on May 4th of 2018, the Connecticut Supreme Court vacated Skakel's conviction and ordered a new trial. The, co the court ended up ruling that Sherman had rendered ineffective assistance and failed to contact an alibi witness whose name had been provided by Skakel, and that as a result, Skakel was deprived of a fair trial. State prosecutors had the power to call for a new trial against Skackle, however. But here's where the kicker comes in. On October 30th, 
2012 or 20 god why did i say 2012 2020 legit 45 years to the day of the murder the state of connecticut announced that they would not be retrying uh scackle for the murder so basically now this man who they had overwhelming evidence against got away with I what I would honestly say a slap on the wrist. I mean, he's been out of jail since 2013. And now the family, they're now stuck with, okay, you had the man who killed Martha in jail. And because of someone's incompetency, because there was a name given that the nobody checked out. I mean, who's to say that this name that was given was a real person you know so how can you claim that oh there's a there's a retrial there's a retrial the family had money they could have paid anybody to say whatever they wanted for them um and it it sucks because it's like all right well um <laughs> now we're just kind of sitting here with uh, this guy's been out of jail since 2013 it's now 2021 and he served what convicted in 2002 released in 2023 11 years of a 20 year sentence 11 years for the murder of someone's child i can just imagine how the family feels and the problem is, is the fact that he legit, and, and, and it's, it's been stated, he, he confessed to this one per, you know, one person that they actually were like, okay, yeah, no, he actually did talk to this person. He, he confessed about getting away with murder because he's a Kennedy. And then RFK Jr. writes this whole t book going, yeah, he didn't do it. There's so much evidence against this other person. If there was so much evidence against this other person, then why was that other person not in in jail why wasn't he tried it, and if you want to say it with somebody else you know, why wasn't thomas tried i mean what what made him any less a suspect than michael i i don't i don't understand and it, it's it's a lot um this case was done a like and it's it's had a couple different um couple different adaptations going through the popular culture um crime junkies does have an episode that came out last year about the martha moxley murder um oxygen had a three-part documentary on it called murder and justice the case of the case of martha moxley um it, there's i don't know i don't know i feel like truth be told I feel like somebody got off very easily. And I mean, that's just my opinion. You know, what, what would you do if that was, if you were put in that family's case, would you feel like somebody got off or would you think justice was served? Let me know in the comments on Spotify or let me know on our Instagram page or even our Facebook page. I know tonight's episode was pretty lengthy. And if you've made it this far, I want to say thank you. 
Um, I want to actually give a big thank you to all of our listeners. I appreciate every single one of you. Um, we've been kind of trying to grow the brand a little bit and slowly, but surely we're getting there. Um, and I want to just say a big shout out to all of our followers that have listened since day one, all of our followers that have found us on YouTube, on, uh, Facebook, on Instagram, the few that have found us on Twitter. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, moving forward there, we did miss one night this week. Um, but it, it, it's okay. It is what it is. It's a Halloween thing. And as most of you guys know, I have kids. So that's always the fun part about running around and trying to get things together around this time of year. But tonight's episode just, I don't know. It's been kind of stuck in my head for a while when I started researching stuff I wanted to do for the Halloween special. And yeah. So I wanted to get this out there. Also on Halloween, we will be releasing a YouTube video along with a podcast um, about the Black Dahlia. It is our Halloween spectacular special episode. Um, so please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the little notification bell so you don't miss out. And that's it for tonight. Can't wait to hear from everybody. You all have a great day, night, whenever you're listening. <laughs> I know I always say night because I'm recording these things at night, but it is what it is. So much appreciated. We appreciate you. Thank you again. Until next time.